The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and here's Scott, Jess, and Jeremy this week. We are excited to have a special guest on the show from Boston Dog Lawyers, Jeremy Cohen. And first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. The pig's all the way over here, so i got to handle it. Our quirky tip of the day today is if you are on the North Shore in Massachusetts and you have any legal issues as it relates to your dog, uh, look up Jeremy. There's going to be a link uh, in the description for where you can find him and a little bit more about his business. But this is an episode uh, that we first found out about through the magazine Seacoast Bark. And Jeremy has just a very interesting job. He does a lot of different legal cases as it relates to your dogs. And uh, we're excited to have you on the show. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. This is a... This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Appreciate well, the boys are smoking the new Garofalo oh, yeah. cigar, too, so everybody's enjoying a little cigar buzz mid-Wednesday. So tell us a little bit about what you do um, in some of your most common cases. And how you got into this in the beginning. Sure. I got into it because uh, a dog very close to home, my stepkid's dog that lived with their dad, got loose. Okay. And he was, a, he was dog aggressive, but a woman tried to scoop up her little dog, protect it, and Jesse bit her okay. in the ankle. And this was small town, Marblehead, Mass. They held a hearing. And I, I was a lawyer, so I said, yeah, I'll go. Mm-hmm. And I called ahead and the board. Anytime a dog bites, there can be a hearing in any city or town around the country, usually at night. It's fun. It's like a night game. I, I do enjoy <laughs> it. For some reason, I enjoy it. But that night, I called ahead and the board said, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. And when I went... Within minutes, they wanted to euthanize Jesse. That's amazing. uh, They compared him to an Al-Qaeda terrorist cell laying in wait. There were no facts. Mm -hmm. And it was clear the loudest voices in the room were winning. So I started this firm to prevent that. Okay. Some dogs need to be put down. But there's so many things we can do beforehand. Trainers, uh, behaviors, educate the owners better. And it made the local paper some cartoons, and we won. I had no idea what I was doing. I was giving quotes to the newspaper. I had no no concept, but it took off. And so every year I'd handle a few. And then about five years ago, I said, let's do it. Let's see if we cool. can get something going full time. And awesome. Boston That's an emotional, emotional topic. That's for sure. Yeah, the dangerous dog hearing. Scott has had to go speak at a few of them. But if there is a bite, you know, the whole town gets involved and there's emotions on both sides. It's not easy. So you deal with a lot of those and then you deal with some custody cases as well, right? Right. Uh, divorcing people uh, who who need this carved out, the, mm-hmm. the dog, cat, horse. But a lot of times it's younger people who live together, decided to get a pet together, yeah. and then they split up and who gets to keep it. And those are... Uh, they're, they're battles, those cases. I can and imagine. It doesn't, most you, you courts. You can keep the kids, I want the dog. <laughs> it's so much that. And <laughs> we do create some joint ones. Yeah. Uh, some joint custody uh, sharing agreements. But it's not just about who bought the dog or who's the dog licensed under. There's so many, we call them indicia of ownership. Who cares for the dog? Who buys the food? Yeah. Who goes to the vet? Uh, who knows how to raise dogs better? So 
every one of those cases has, has ended differently. But yeah. we usually have about a dozen custody cases at any one time That's in, crazy. in court. And how are people finding you these days? Just word of mouth or? Uh, well, we just redid our website okay. at bostondoglawyers.com. And we, we get uh, podcasts. Uh, we were recently featured in Dogster and Catster Magazine, oh, cool. which was big for us. But we get calls from all over the country. Yeah. So we have affiliated attorneys now in some states where just trying to be a resource for, for sure. pet owners. Nice. And how many people work for the Boston Dog Lawyers firm themselves? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I named it plural when there was just <laughs> one of us because uh, I had high hopes. So there's four yeah. of us now. Okay, great. And uh, it's a seven-day-a-week job. Yeah, that's crazy. So these custody cases... Um, are they like drawn out over months? I mean, what kind of evidence do people bring? Like what, I know you talked about the factors, about financial factors and caretaker factors and everything else, but if someone's going to prepare for something like that, what types of things do they normally have to prepare with? Good, good question. Receipts. Okay. Save your receipts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, vet records are helpful, except that there's usually a spot for only one person's name. Yeah. I don't care about who licensed the dog because I could get the rabies certificate from you and license your dog in my town. Yeah. So that's not significant. I do want to see who paid, but we feel that there's a when. There's a when someone suddenly became the primary owner mm-hmm. in a lot of these relationships. And so we look for that and we try to educate the judge who... The judges are now taking these cases serious. We so appreciate that. You have to. Animals are a huge thing yeah. these days. And we, my firm, we do almost like a shock and awe early on mm-hmm. to get us a, an early on court date so that we can get this in front of a judge. It's not the trial, but it's an early hearing to try to get some restrictions or get the dog back for somebody. And that usually gets everybody talking. Yeah. And we try to resolve it. But uh, I mean, these are probably... They're the toughest cases, but they're the most fun because when you get that dog back for somebody, yeah. after they were bullied and told by their ex, you'll never see that dog again. You'll, you know, you're only, you keep doing this, you're just going to end up crying and crying. And yeah, we are crying yeah. we're, because we're so happy to get the dog back and to, and to see the videos of that. Yeah. And the, the custody cases often involve, I've had mother, daughter, uh, grandson, grandmother right now, aunt, niece. So... I, I really try working, to talk them out of it. against each other? Yeah. yeah that's and tough. I, I try to talk them out of it and yeah. try to work it out, but um, by the time they get to me, I'm confident that they've sought all the other And when it ends remedies. in joint custody, what does that typically look like? Similar with kids or? Well, it ends up in a shared agreement with consequences if you don't deliver the pet back on time. Okay. And usually the people just don't want to see each other. So we find a neutral place where there's a drop-off and pickup, maybe a daycare mm-hmm. that they pay one day a week and they don't have to see each other. Um, and so far, those have worked. We did One of our early cases, which just gave us so much confidence, was a judge uh, in Boston split custody of the dog between Boston and Seattle. Wow. And that was like... <laughs> This, we can do that, yeah. Yeah, we can, we can do this. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about that, crossing state lines and stuff like that. That's another issue. Yeah, and do because once you leave Mass, the judge doesn't have jurisdiction anymore, right. so will you bring the dog back? If not, it, it gets complicated. We did just recently get a dog back from Montreal to Pennsylvania because it was stolen when the people lived in Massachusetts. But it's complicated. Yeah, yeah. it is crazy because the dogs are so emotional. And I can assume in a divorce, using that for leverage or any type of relationship conflict, using that for leverage is a huge thing. Right, right. Um, 
And, and that's what we look for. Like, what's the real reason that this person suddenly took the pet and won't give it back to yeah. me? Because usually it's not for love of the pet. Yeah. Right. It's this leverage or uh, vendetta yeah. of yeah. some kind. Some spite. Yeah. You know, one thing, uh, a legal aspect that I ran into with a client where they were upset was um, they had their dog on a dog run in their yard because they didn't have a fenced yard. And the lady was walking down the street with her dog and it pulled out of her hand, ran up into the dog's yard where the dog was on a tether. And those dogs got in a fight. She ran up into the property to get her dog back and got bit by the homeowner's dog. And the homeowner was liable for not protecting the public from her aggressive dog. That's how it went down, that she was at fault. Not if I had the case. And there no. wasn't anyone there to fight for okay. her either. That's what I am so concerned about is I, I love helping the people that we do, but there's so many who don't know yeah. you can get help. And not just from my firm. We can refer you out or you can find other lawyers, but no. You lost control of your dog. Our person had the dog on a run, under control. On private property. On their own property. You know, this happens too much, especially with um, seeing a lot of delivery cases now. Oh, they yeah. came on the property and they got bit. Uh, while they're invited onto the property, essentially, uh, they're not invited to walk around back. They're not invited to go over and pet the dog. If they, yeah, and if that's what they the always dog. do. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of petting the dog. They don't know the dog. Right. Yeah, but they're... Compelled, they go over and make friends with a dog that they have no business. And you no. know, as trainers, how how good does a dog feel when it it barks and the male person leaves, the male man leaves? Because <laughs> yeah. I just did my job, yeah. even mm -hmm. though you know they're going to leave anyway. The dog gets so yeah. confident that they did their their job, and uh, so I'm seeing more of that now. Also, seeing a lot of nuisance cases where neighbors are complaining that the the dogs next door are barking so much it's interfering with their work. Mm -hmm. Because of COVID, people were home sure. so much. Uh, those are tricky because what really constitutes a nuisance? What's too much barking? Yeah. And I call upon animal control officers to to intervene there, not to punish, but to try to help uh, define get, and yes. resolve it somehow. Right. And and they don't. <laughs> I, they don't. Uh, I just find that they're they're so limited in some of the things they'll do. But I thought I think that's a fundamental being an animal control officers trying to neutralize things before it gets to a hearing or you need and, a lawyer. And quite often when they do come, the dog isn't barking. Right. So they're right. like, well, we're, there's no barking going on. And yet the people are complaining over stuff that isn't really nuisance barking. They just don't want to hear any barking. Yeah, exactly. That's a different issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tensions during the pandemic went up in general. So I guess it's a good way to outlet your stresses. Oh, the neighbor's dog is causing trouble. Before we started, you mentioned vets. Um, what's going on with that type of situation, just so I'm more clear what you meant there. Uh, well, we, we believe we can change vets, vets' behavior by holding them accountable. So it's too often I get the call. We get a call a day about vet killed my dog. And 80% of them, it's not true, maybe yeah. even higher. And what we do is we say we'll get the records. <clears throat> We've built a bank of about 30 veterinarians around the country because it's really hard to get a vet who will give an opinion about another vet's work. Yeah. Right. And we have the records reviewed. Did the vet meet the minimum standard of care? And if they did, great. Now the, the pet owner feels like, okay, I don't have to d direct my attention at the vet anymore because too often the vets just turn their back when there's a grievance yeah. because their insurance companies tell them. So people they're feel afraid like- They're they're going to incriminate themselves right. somehow by even talking about it, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And what I have found, and I have given talks to vets, I have found that if they just talk to them, the calls would never come to me. People right. would go away, but they feel like, I just plunked down six grand. I brought in a dog to be neutered. Now my dog's dead and you're not talking to me. I, I need answers. So 
uh, we're really trying one at a time to to change that uh, because but there also is a perception that that's uh, upcharge and char- things that you don't really need and mm-hmm. amazingly this bank of veterinarians that I have they 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 believe that too yeah so it's I know lawyers have a tough reputation and um, but I'm doing what I can to to actually eliminate the the besmirching of vets online. If we can just get records reviewed and have a real opinion about did they do something wrong or not. And that's true. The upcharging stuff, we see it all the time with clients. All of a sudden, you bring them in for something and it's $1,500 procedure when maybe it didn't have to be. So, And when the animals, when something happens, it is emotional. But like you said, just those open lines of communication are hugely important because people just need to be feeling like, you know, there's no one at fault. And one of the tips, if your dog is going in for surgery... The, the the time when it's likely they're going to have a problem is post-surgery. Mm-hmm. Does your vet facility, do they keep people there overnight? Some places they leave at 11, come back at 7. If something happens during those eight hours, no one's there. No one's there. Yeah. And a lot of dogs, it's, uh, they aspirate. And they aspirational pneumonia, their lungs fill with just, as they're coming out of anesthesia, they, they might vomit. Inhale something, yeah. Yeah, and... If someone was right there watching them, yeah. now, if they got a Pepsid AC beforehand, if they got a shot of Serenia, which prevents nausea, these little things. Could have prevented it, yeah. Yeah. So those are things that as a pet owner, uh, it's been great to learn as I've gone through this business, but yeah. everybody should know that. Yeah, be conscientious. And people have asked that uh, with us too when we were boarding. Is there someone there overnight uh, to, to make sure if there was, God forbid, a fire? Is right. there someone going to be there to get my dog out? And one of the reasons that we had so much success is that we always had a person at the facility overnight. There was a bedroom built into our, our dog training Smart. place. And uh, it, it put people at ease. You know, it really helped a lot. That's, that's a great point. We just, we're dealing with a few bo- uh, boarding facilities now. Yeah. And one of the cases I ended up, my client was um, very eloquent. And we now have what's called Ollie's Law, mm-hmm. trying to get that passed in Massachusetts because every. We thought boarding facilities were licensed. Yeah. They have no requirements of, in Massachusetts at least, of staff, mm-hmm. um, uh, training, right. and, and a fire emergency plan. Mm-hmm. And um, it, dogs got in a fight. There was only one staff member, and they didn't have any tools on how to break up a dog fight. If, so you got to check on your places. Yeah. Do they we, have... You need protocols. One simple thing. A CO2 fire extinguisher, uh, that... Can, can prevent so much because it, it's clean, it just, it, it's safe, it just evaporates, but it's, it's enough of a shock to the dogs to get them to stop doing what they're doing and buy the person a few seconds to, so to grab them. You could carry one of those on your back when you're walking <laughs> right. your dog, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who needs bear mace when you have a CO2 fire extinguisher? And then if you have to see a fire, you're a hero. <laughs> well, the nice, the nice thing about that, really, from a, to break up a fight is that a lot of times people do carry mace, but their own dog gets maced. Right. You know, it blows back right. in their face. It's all over everything, and it's, it's pepper spray, you know, so it's not a pleasant thing. Yeah. All right. We are going to go to break super quick. When we get back, we are going to talk a little bit about legal, legality and rescue. Does your dog seem anxious? Would you like your dog to relax? Do you want to feel more in control? Would you like your dog to cooperate? HowToCalmYourCanine.com That's HowToCalmYourCanine.com 
All right, we are back. We are going to talk a little bit about rescue here. But first, I want to know, are there any breed trends as it relates to, like, these dangerous dog hearings that you might see? Or breed-specific or Yeah, or even, or even uh, the veterinary stuff. Like, do you see certain breeds, like maybe an English bulldog more frequently is uh, one of the vet cases. Do you see any trends like that? See, it's great to be interviewed by dog people because you know the, you know the questions. We know what's going on, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's nothing worse than somebody who's, who interviews me and they don't have a dog, so they don't <laughs> know that question. Uh, brachycephalic dogs yeah. have, are the number one problem at veterinary facilities uh, because sometimes uh, some major, uh, well, facilities think every one of those dogs should have airway surgery, and sometimes they're in for another surgery, and it's too much to do airway surgery and, a, once, and another yeah. surgery, and that leads to problems. And and really, not every one of those dogs needs airway surgery, um, but you need a vet who who knows that breed. Uh, I it, this sits close to home when I, I get calls about golden retrievers because I have a golden. Uh, well, those dogs really suck, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so unfriendly, <laughs> just so unfriendly. Uh, so with. With vets, you do want to make sure they know the breed uh, because some breeds have, are, have very unique anatomy. And yep. the smaller the dog, just the more complicated it is. And that's when I see a lot of issues with dental procedures on smaller dogs, Pomeranians, mm. uh, Yorkies, because you don't know what's going on until you anesthetize them mm -hmm. and go in their mouth. But when you start putting tools in their mouth, I see so many injuries come out uh, be, like in the, to the eyes, to the back of the eyes, mm. and to the nasal cavity because it's just so small in there. Yeah. And it, it's, these are risks, but you need to know about the risks. Is your yeah. vet telling you those risks? And, and there are some vet. breeds that can't handle anesthetic as well as others. Right. Yeah. They need certain types of anesthetic and all kinds of side effects. Exactly. And, yeah. and anytime your dog goes for surgery, they, there should be a pre-surgical blood work to make sure that the dog can process yeah. the anesthesia. Yeah. These are just things that, as a pet owner, I, I had no idea about, but I've learned through the cases. And that's not necessarily an upcharge. That's take, trying to take care of your dog. Yeah, that right. should be a commonplace right. practice, just like a boarding facility, somebody being there overnight, all of those little things. What yeah. about the dangerous dog yeah. hearings? Do you see any... Sorry, did you have another No, thing I was going to get to that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, of course... Um, Pit bulls are a part of that. Yeah. Uh, when someone calls me, I very rarely will ask the breed because it's, to me, it just doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, I have had some golden retrievers. Uh, you get the huskies. Most people will say that their dog is a mix. Yeah. So a mix means I know exactly what yeah. kind of dog it is. But, um, <laughs> and you never bring the dog to the hearing. Yeah. Uh, people often ask, should I just bring the dog to the hearing? No. Nothing good can <laughs> come from that. Yeah. It's a bite at the hearing. <laughs> and what we do is, part of our team is we, we bring in expert trainers and behaviorists for each case to try to educate the hearing authority. So if we will bring in an expert on, on a pit bull, if it's a golden, we'll get somebody who mm -hmm. focuses on that. And because it's important to me that who. We are the smartest people in the room. Somebody on my team, when it comes to talking about dog behavior at a dangerous dog hearing, nobody from the neighborhood, nobody at the board, and, and even me, none of us should be heard about uh, trying to interpret the dog's behavior and whether it should be put down. We need smart people. And oftentimes, the town leans on the animal control officer, but when you cross-examine them, you find out they have no training in dog behavior, yeah, right. but they just happen to be, you know, the, their the authority expert. there. Yeah. Sometimes it's a volunteer position. They're right. getting paid. Right. Yeah. Uh, they do a lot of work, often handled multiple towns for, for just not a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So I know it's a tough position. And it is a serious 
decision to euthanize a dog. I mean, that is a that is a life changing decision. So it is important to have correct representation. Scott wanted to get into the rescue stuff. What do you want to talk about with that, babe? Well, I just wanted to ask if you were running into any of what we are seeing more and more is uh, the no kill shelters uh, that mean well uh, rescuing dogs from quite often the south, bringing them up. They don't have a lot of history on these dogs. And people are rescue or adopting them off a picture off of an internet. Just that's it. That's all I got is a picture, and it says loves everything. The best dog in the world <laughs> needs a home. Sparky's we can't great. believe this dog doesn't have a home yet. And they're like, oh, I, you know, and they get the dog, and either the dog has extreme anxiety, it's very destructive, it can't be in a crate, and they're having all kinds of problems, or the dog is getting aggressive towards other dogs, kids, all this kind of stuff. And then when they Call, you know, they call back, um, they're told, well, we're going to put the dog down if you give the dog back. And then they're feeling like they don't want the dog to be put down sometimes. They feel like they have some kind of bond with the dog, but there's all kinds of weird stuff going on there, you know? So the problem you first identified, no-kill shelters, by doing that to themselves, now they're, they're in the newspaper the minute they have a behavioral problem and the dog needs to be put down. Mm-hmm. And some of, them, some of those no-killers, you know, it doesn't have to be 100%. Uh, they need behaviors, and we've worked with rescues and with the Mass Department of Agriculture. They need behaviors on board who will come in and examine these dogs. Also, they need to be held more accountable because certainly most of them have insurance. But when you read the contract as an adopter, you see you know, you've waived all rights. As soon as you take possession of the dog, yeah. But then you're told, oh, by the way, if you ever want to get rid of the dog, bring it back to us. So my question is, well, do you own the dog or not? Or if they... Uh, tell you eat or feed this type of food or, or certain or things. train if, this type of way. Yeah. I see that a lot. So then I feel like they're, they haven't sold or adopted out. It's almost like a, a lease almost. So control. they're involved. Yeah. And when they're involved, they, I mean, they walk away from responsibility often, but um, not the rescues I work with. I have a few clients, but it's tough for the, for the dog owner. It's, I've had cases where they bring a dog home and all three children get bit. Yeah. Well, you knew I had, Children, you know, I told you I had children, and then they're like, "Well, something, you know, something must have happened." It, it's not right, and that's it's a that is having a, a ticking time bomb because there's not there's just not there's procedures in place, but not for behavior issues. More states are concerned about uh, disease. Yeah, right. Rabies, powerful. I've seen that going back before the rescues, and I was really involved with protection dogs uh, early on in in my dog training career, and I knew several people that imported dogs and sold dogs for people that wanted, you know, they had everything in the world and they wanted a protection dog on top, like icing on the cake, you know, and they'd pay a ton of money for these dogs. And um, it's kind of hard to get everything in one dog, a happy social dog that's going to also take someone down and they have to discriminate who they should be biting, who they shouldn't be, all kinds of stuff. And quite often the wrong people are getting bit with those dogs. We have a case on the vineyard right now where, uh, rescue posted about a dog coming up from Florida. The woman said, I'll take it. She paid mm-hmm. the money. And we have rules about isolating the dog when it first comes in. Well, the rescue said, you know what? It's at night. Why don't you just take the dog? And the, the vet paperwork, it talked about spay and neuter, and it just spay, and it had a question mark. It turns out that the dog needed emergency surgery that cost $6,000, uh, part of which included a spay. Mm-hmm. And the rescue's like, don't look at us. She's like, I, I just got the dog and you <laughs> signed off everything. You yeah. never even isolated the dog. 
well, we'll give you $100. So that's when I get involved. That's just not right. That that's one of these dumps where they just have walked away from it. They they feel that they did good. They got the dog yeah, to the person. Yeah, they passed the problem. Yeah. yeah, and they're not all like that, for sure. No, I mean, we've no. we've talked with some great rescues that are really responsible. We've had a rescue that hired me to do some evaluation and training. They're very responsible and trying to do the right thing. You know, So they're not all just bringing up van loads of dogs right. and then handing them out to people and taking money and, and walking away from it. But more and more dogs are coming up, and it's getting looser and looser, I think. And you have to, I have to remember that, right, it doesn't apply to all rescues. By the time a case gets to me, I, I'm not, nobody calls and says, I got to tell you about a great rescue. Yeah, <laughs> so I only hear the worst. Yeah, That's it's like, same as us. Yeah, yeah, people don't call me and say, I have a great dog and I want to pay a lot of money for training. Why don't we get started? <laughs> it just doesn't happen. You know? And then I have a question. I don't know if you'll know the answer to this, but a lot of times the rescues will talk about how if the owner that surrendered the dog didn't disclose all the information, that owner... If they do disclose the information of maybe aggression or whatever else, that owner that surrendered the dog can be at fault. Do you know anything about that? Well, I know what my position is on it. Okay. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I have to have an answer for every question. <laughs> but um, uh, That's why you're here. We'll take it. So I think the answer is gray, grayish, but that's mm-hmm. why the world needs lawyers because yeah. there's no black and white. But if you fully disclose, and I tell my clients this when they surrender just to a private individual, fully disclose what you know about the dog. All the records, if this dog's been in front of a dangerous dog hearing, any bite, you got to tell them. Then it's with knowledge. So I'm okay with that. I feel like you've done your job. It's when they find out, and they, a good lawyer on the other side will dig and investigate and finds out you knew and didn't share that. And that's kind of with it, with all of our rules about negligence. If you knew, uh, knew uh, something existed, you know, a hole in the parking lot and you did nothing about it. So if you knew this dog has a tendency to bite and you didn't tell us. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's true. If a dog had a 10-day yeah. quarantine from a bite before and it was on record, yeah, you dig and you find that out. Right. And then, yeah, there's negligence there. All right, let's talk crazy stories. Scott always likes to talk crazy stories. What are some standouts over the years? Uh, early on, a woman called. She, um, she Animal control had just taken away her pet squirrel. And she had re- rehabilitated the squirrel because it was outside and it was limping. She spent a few weeks with it. And she called animal control to say, look at me. Look what I did. They're like, that's a wild animal. You can't have it. We'll be right there. Oh, God. (laughs) They came to get it and she wouldn't let them in. Mm -hmm. So they got a warrant. And the lesson for anybody is if SWAT team came in. (laughs) I have a case like that too. But if... um, if if, If the cops show up with a warrant, you should let them in. She didn't. So they kicked in the door. They kicked in the door and they searched for the squirrel, which she had hidden in the closet and I in the microwave (laughs) I said well does the squirrel have a name no no she said I just every morning I walk over to him I say morning squirrel and he (laughs) tips his ears I got a great one a year and a half ago which I actually took a woman called a lawyer to say her wild turkey was just taken by the police Mm -hmm. I said well right there you're not supposed to have a turkey (laughs) and and I wouldn't do this in my first year but I have a little bit more I'm always concerned about credibility so so let me make a call. And I called somebody I know in the Department of Agriculture. He said, well, that's not for animal control to take. That's a state issue. And this turkey had come to her on the very day that her dog died. And they named it the same name oh, as the dog. Boy. And the turkey lived in their yard for a month. It's like a reincarnated. That's son. her. Played yes. tennis ball with the people. <laughs> but unfortunately, it, it pecked a kid in the face. Oh, boy. Who was teasing it. It's like a dangerous turkey hearing now. You got to exactly. go to a whole new realm. <laughs> Boston turkey lawyer. So I made a call. And wouldn't you know it, she called me to say, thank you. 
here comes a police car and the turkey is in the back seat and they brought the turkey home and put it back in the yard. And I, don't I hope know what it happened. was near Thanksgiving. It's such a good feel-good story. I don't know what happened after that, but for that moment, I, I was her Yeah, girl. that was a win. So you really deal with a lot of species then, not just dogs necessarily. Yeah. I you try not to. I, I try not to. I try to limit it to pets. But in that instance, that, that's gold. You know, a story like that, I, I took it so I could sit here and tell that story one day. Uh, well, let, I, me, let me share another a story, another question I have. I got a call from a lady that said, I have a wolf hybrid that got out of the yard and I can't remember what happened. If there was a bite, there was an incident with this dog. And I'm like, shoot, you know, that's, I don't really train wolves. And I don't, I know that wolf hybrids can be a really sketchy animal. They're not a domesticated dog. They're part wild, part dog, you know? So I looked up the law. She was in New Hampshire before I even continued to follow up. And it said, if you, you can have a wolf hybrid, as long as we know where it came from to your house and it's fenced properly, there's, all, there's extra rules if you're right. going to have a wolf hybrid. And they weren't, uh, doing any of the rules they were supposed to do. So they were really at fault, you know? Uh, wolf hybrid. One of my most favorite cases was a wolf hybrid case. And it, it really takes a special person to have a wolf hybrid. And unlike New Hampshire and Mass, you can't have them. So you people are all. always trying to find a yeah. way to bring them up here. This guy was told me how great they are. I learned a ton about it. We got an expert involved. It was a criminal act having a wolf hybrid. It's, it's against the law. And we won. Uh, the judge found that the statute was too vague. So when you looked at the statute and you have to look at the lineage, it said that any dog that has a wolf in its ancestry is a wolf hybrid. And right. the judge said, they all I have back. a dog. Right. Yeah. That means that everybody's <laughs> yeah. going to take my dog. Yeah. But in that case, and I don't do this so much anymore, the owner insisted I meet the wolf, the dogs, the wolf oh, hybrids. Okay. Um, and there, in the end, it was, there was a documentary going on. So I feel this pressure that I've got to meet them. And I met the first one. Uh, he was great, Keanu. Then I met Luna. And they said, just hold her, hold her by the neck and just hold her down. Well, I, <laughs> I, I think they set me up because suddenly she's growling. She keeps turning back to bite me. And I'm thinking, I can't believe the hair. Hold her tomorrow. down harder, harder. <laughs> the hair's tomorrow, and I'm going to show up with with a, yeah, yeah. a dog bite. And so they formed. Two guys came in and formed a wall, and they're like, "Okay, sneak out, Get sneak out. out!" Oh my god! It was disappointing because she didn't clearly know who I was, yeah. and I was trying to save her. But um, it was a great uh, video on tape that they caught, <laughs> and I'm just like, "You got to edit that out. We can't have that." But the case is far enough, yeah, in the past that we don't have to worry about. Well, it. this is an important thing to realize because you don't really know if you're going to need your services or not because. You know, these dangerous dog hearings, you you need to be there for the hearing. It's not like you can go back five years later and renegotiate it. Same thing if you're in a relationship with a dog. I'm going to start saving receipts for our dogs just in, in case. In I gotta... my name. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I mean, these are little intricacies that you don't consider when you own an animal. But with this legal aspect kind of on the rise, it's important to plan ahead and definitely save Jeremy's information for when stuff well, pops the, the up. the nice thing is I have a lot of clients that have dogs that have a great issues that the people have done a lot to keep them under control and whatnot but they, it would be great for them to have your card in their back pocket because quite often uh i don't know what the odds are but probably half the time it's not even their fault right. because someone came in and got too forward with their dog and they had no business doing that right. you know and they don't know until they talk to you they may think immediately i'm guilty my dog's aggressive but really i mean i'll tell you my i had a dog that bit someone 20 years ago, and I had him in the backyard 
in a fenced uh, contained area. It was triple fenced from the street. But I had uh, a pool guy that would come in and take care of the pool. So he comes in through the one fence, and then he gets in. He's in the backyard, which there's no way any dog can get to him. But then he sees my dog barking, so he goes and he sticks his hand like in said. through the friggin' gate, and the dog bites him. He didn't report it, but the next time, I, the next week, he came in. He goes, "Oh, your dog bit me." I said, "How is that possible? Right. I got this dog triple fenced." Right. He goes, "Well, it was my fault. I stuck my hand in there." Now he never filed a complaint or anything, but protecting your dog from the idiocy of the public is really tough. You know, and you'll hear from other lawyers on the plaintiff side who pursue the damages. It's strict liability. You're always at fault. No, you're not. Yeah, that's there's so many. There's so many facts to uncover. Dogs yeah. bite for a reason, as you both know, and a lot of times that reason is is doesn't come from them. It comes from the uh, not no. always a victim, but it, you can see yeah. that the victim kind of uh, they're not reading the dog's something. behavior. The dog's exactly. fearful, and they just keep coming in. So right, I, and that's why kids get bit a lot because they're not reading the dog's behavior. They just come in and want to give the dog a hug. And that's a parent's fault for not teaching kids how to interact with dogs. If I they agree. spend ten minutes a year, even in school, yeah. here's how you approach a dog. Half of the four million bites a year are to kids twelve and under. So yeah, that's preventable. And, uh, and uh, I found out just recently because I have a client who is a um, a nurse practitioner for a plastic surgeon, mm. and she said uh, quite a bit of what we do is dog bite reconstructive surgery with kids. Yep. And I said, what what time of year is there any? Do you see a pattern? She says always the holidays. Holidays, kids, and that's when dogs get bit. Dog, kids get bit by dogs. So much chaos at the house. The yeah. dogs aren't used to having all these no. family no members No one's there. watching anybody. And right. Yeah. It, protect kids your dog. Kids are chasing the dog around, some five, six-year-old kid, because they want to play. Yeah. The dog runs in the crate to get away from them. The kid goes right in the crate. Folks are having some drinks, just relaxing, catching up with people they haven't yeah. seen. Yeah. yeah. Be an advocate for your dog. And if you do have an issue, um, know that you can get some representation. I think it's really a fascinating topic. And when we came across your article, Scott was like, oh my God, we got to get him on the podcast because not a lot of people in the country are doing this, but it seems like it is a little bit on the rise. Like you I think said. a lot of yeah. attorneys don't want to deal with it. It's yeah. like too small or, or whatever. They just, right. maybe it's just out of their wheelhouse completely and they just don't want to. Maybe if you didn't have the personal investment, you wouldn't have gotten involved, yeah. frankly. Uh, and I, I love that. I, I love that other people or <laughs> other words like, what? What do you do? do? What? <laughs> and then when we go against each other, they're like, oh, okay, now yeah. I see her. My 30 minutes, 30 second speech about why you would need a dog lawyer. I mean, even my own parents took five years so they fully understand why you need, would need a dog lawyer. Yeah. Right. So I get it, but yeah. hopefully there'll be more around soon. All right. Well, well if I'm going guys... to get a wolf pit bull hybrid. <laughs> You're all set. <laughs> Just we're going to start having a lot of kids, and then we're just going to call Jeremy when things hit the fan. All right. If you guys need uh, to find Jeremy, we are going to link his uh, business URL in the description. You have a Facebook page as well, correct? Yes, we do. Okay. Boston Dog Lawyers. All right. Um, check it out. Massachusetts uh, mostly, but it sounds like you're consulting various places, right? We do have a lot, uh, a lot of opportunity in New Hampshire. A lot All of right. pet owners need help. All right. Great. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, uh, the boys are going to finish their cigar. You. you guys have a great week, and keep it quirky. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.